My name's Nathan. I can't believe this many people found this room back here. <laughs> Great. Um, I have no idea what y'all are doing here. Um, I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, I'm going to play a song for us, get us started. Um, I, I may have a hard time getting through this today. Um, but let's listen to this song. We're, we're going to talk about the high and holy calling of um, practicing the art of medicine uh, in the way that, that Jesus practiced it. And um, just to kind of get us thinking in terms of holiness and the holiness of God, uh, I, I want us to kind of listen to this song together. And it was um, in part spot inspired by uh, the worship that we had yesterday morning. And... Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. So uh, just take an attitude of prayer, um, listen to the words of this song, reflect on the revelation of God and His holiness.
my name is Nathan Cook. Uh, I live in Memphis. Uh, eight years ago, nine years ago, uh, my wife and I moved into an inner city community um, because God told us to. We knew what we were supposed to do. We didn't know why we were supposed to do it. Um, just to move into the inner city and to raise our family there. There was no vocation involved with that. Um, no sense of calling other than to, to model a uh, Christian family in an area where um, the family was being decimated. Um, we prayed a lot about what to do. We tried uh, starting a ministry that was a complete failure. And uh, after a year and a half of that, um, got together with uh, friends who I knew who were serving that community, um, one of whom was Rick Donlin. Uh, who is uh, a doctor at Christ Community Health Services. And, um, as we prayed, Rick started feeding me uh, all of these books on church planning and, and tapes on church planning. And, um, I made my wife endure uh, 13, 24 hours of listening to these tapes with me as we drove um, down to the beach on vacation and back. And... Uh, you know, by the time that we got back from that, from that vacation, it was like, okay, this is it. This is what this is what God wants for us, is to, to start a church in this community. And so um, we gathered all of our friends together, all ten of them, and we uh, got together in our 780-square-foot house, uh, which was now also our church. I was uh, a religion major um, in college. I uh, got a degree in Masters of Divinity. The only thing I knew how to do or was trained to do was to, to preach and lead a church. Um, and so uh, two years in, we decided uh, to, that we didn't really need a preacher anymore, um, that we didn't need a, a paid, paid staff person, um, that if we were really going to do what we felt like God was leading us to do to reach this community, um, and we looked at other community churches in the neighborhood, we realized that... Um, you know, these small churches, which our church was a small church, that all of the, the ties were going to pay for the pastor's salary and pay for a church building, um, and nothing was flowing back into the community. Nothing was going to help those that were poor. Nothing was going to develop. Uh, and so we, we decided, um, I decided uh, to get a job, and um, I told my church that, and, and Rick uh, offered me a job. And so I started working at the clinic, um, with helping them to start an HIV treatment program and, and doing research and grant writing and putting together a case management system. And I was the program manager for that um, for a number of years. And kind of my responsibilities with Christ Community have continued to grow um, in that way. Um, uh, and so I'm, a, I'm here today. I tell you that because I'm here today as an outsider uh, looking in. I'm not an insider. I'm not a doctor. I haven't been trained that way. Um, I, I haven't had to go through the things that you go through. Um, I'm just I'm just an outsider. And so so whatever I say, take it as that. You know, take it as an outsider looking in. And um, you know, I've I've known for maybe six months now um, what I was supposed to say here. And um, Sorry. 
<laughs> Rick knows I do this all the time. I'm sorry. This is the only time I cry. It's, uh, <laughs> honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm really pretty hard-hearted. I wish that I, I wish that I would, uh, I wish that I would be like this around my five-year-old and three-year-old, but, you know, they get, they get my wrath. Um, uh, it, it wasn't really until last night that, um, I knew why. Sorry. Um, yesterday, before Rick's talk, um, our worship leaders were taking us through uh, a meditation on, on um, Revelation chapter 4. And um, during that time, I just saw these pictures of the heavenly beings with their wings outstretched and their eyes, they covered their whole body and their wings and these eyes that were just looking back and forth. And every one of the eyes that I looked at was open. They were all open. And I think that what that picture in Revelation is, is to give us is that the heavenly creatures have had their eyes open to the glory and beauty and majesty of God. They see God for who he truly is. As a holy God. As a sovereign God. As a majestic God. And they began to worship. Singing the song that we just sang. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Praising his name. And the 24 elders hearing this. They fall to their face. And they lay prostrate before God. And they begin to worship God. And they recognize that God is the creator and that they are the creation and that they have been made for his glory. And then the second image that I got, if you know where that that picture comes from, it comes from Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel chapter 1, it's the same picture of these heavenly beings. And these heavenly beings are um, carrying the chariot of God. Um, That God is on the move. He's leaving the temple. Uh, And... And the picture of, of um, that led me to another picture, a picture of the Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And I don't know if you know um, the story, but uh, the Ark of the Covenant, do you guys know what the Ark of the Covenant looks like? Somebody say, stand up for a second. All right, the Ark of the Covenant is this big gold chest laid with gold. And on top, there are two angels. Put your arms out like this, okay? There are two angels with their wings outstretched towards one another, okay? And if you look, what's your name? Robert. Robert. If you look at Robert, you follow Robert's head down his arms, across my arms, and then up my head like this. It forms a seat. Okay, thank you, Robert. It forms a seat, all right? And that's, that seat was called the mercy seat of God. And it was believed that as the Israelites wandered through the wilderness carrying the ark, that the presence of God rested upon the mercy seat of God. That that was his throne. And God gave the Levites a very specific way in which that throne was to be carried. That uh, the ark had poles that went on either side of it. And the Levites were to lift up the ark of the covenant and to carry it on their shoulders. Okay? With the mercy seat of God here. It's a picture of the exaltation of God. And that the role of the Levites were to be servants of God. To exalt his name. To lift him up. There's a story um, in 2 Samuel uh, where the Levites don't carry the ark in the, in the proper way. That, that the, the ark has been um, 
captured by the Philistines. And uh, plagues, they've been plagued. Uh, they're, they're plagues of rats and of, of uh, boils and tumors. And the Philistines who have captured this ark, they're ready to get rid of it. And so they put it on a cart. And uh, it's pulled by oxen, and they let the oxen go, and the oxen start walking right back to Jerusalem, carrying the Ark of the Covenant back. And, and David decides, uh, it, the Ark stays with the man for a number of years, and David decides to take um, the Ark back to its rightful place in Jerusalem. And so again, they put it on um, this cart, and it's pulled by the oxen. And now the picture is this. I want you to see this picture. that The Ark is no longer being carried on on the Levite's shoulders, it's on a cart. It's down here. And there are two men. The the, the cart had been um, staying in a man's house, and his two sons are leading the cart. His son Ahio is in the front of the cart, and his other son Uzzah is in the back of the cart. Ahio means friendly. Uzzah means strength. And they're walking along, and the the, the cart starts to tip. And the Ark of the Covenant starts to fall. And Uzzah stretches out his hands to catch the Ark. And he's struck dead. He touches the Ark and he falls dead. And David is pissed. (laughs) He's really upset. And he says, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Take it back. Take it back. But this, this is the picture of the church today. Is that we have organized the church around men who are friendly and charismatic and who are leading the way and are using their charisma to attract people. And we are ministering out of our own strength. And that when we do that, it leads to death. That our role as a holy priesthood is to take our rightful place at the feet of Jesus Christ And to lift him up and to exalt his name and to serve him, for he is holy. That's the picture that I had yesterday. was a picture of a holy God. And and if we, as, uh, as you, as doctors, as me, as a pastor, if we were to take up our rightful place at the feet of Jesus Christ, and we were to recognize that he is holy, that he is sovereign, that we would go about our ministry of medicine and of healing and of preaching in a different way. Uh, the other thing that happened yesterday morning is that I was slightly convicted. Not this wasn't a major conviction of, of guilt and you know anything. It was it was just like I, I realized that um, I've been asking the wrong question of, of people for a long time. You see, I work with a lot of medical students. Um, we have medical students from all over the country coming to Christ Community and going on rotations in our clinic. And in the morning, they'll work with the doctors from 8.30 to 1.30, treating patients. And then in the afternoon, um, I'll work on them through discipleship. And then, um, so we'll study the Bible together and read the Bible together and talk through some of these things that we're talking through now. And then we'll uh, take people out into the community and to serve the community. And we're doing things to help uh, students to kind of recognize that... Um, Medicine and healing is a, is a community effort, and, it, and it, uh, people who come into the clinic, um, are the decisions that they make are in part shaped by the community in which they live, and that we need to kind of have a holistic approach. So I, I work with students, but the first, you know, when I'm introducing myself and we're getting to know each other, we're doing small talk, I always ask this question. I, I ask, um, you know, what type of medicine do you want to go into? Now, that doesn't sound like a bad question, does it? 
Um, but after kind of thinking and meditating on this, I really thought like the right question would be, have you seen the glory of God? <laughs> have you, do you know the righteousness of God? Do you know how sovereign it is? Have you laid prostrate before the Almighty King and asked Him what His mission for your life is? You know, I thought about that. I was like, that comes across as a little harsh. It's like a, you know, it may not be a good opener, but that's the question that needs to be asked, right? Not what kind of, what kind of medicine do you want to go into, but have you, have you laid prostrate before the King of Kings and ask Him what His mission for your life is and say, Lord God, whatever it is, I will do. Because I'm your servant. And my role is to lift you up. To exalt you before all nations. Alright, I want to um, look uh, a little bit... All right, wait a minute. Okay, so um, that being said, God has gifted you He has deposited His Spirit in you. And when He did that, that came with um, gifts. And many of you in here have gifts of healing and gifts of mercy. Uh, Many of you, um, that's why you're going into medicine, is because your motivation is compassion and mercy, that you want to see people be healed and restored, and that's what's taken you into this career. But you have a world that's putting all kinds of pressure on you, and especially you as students, um, that, that doctors, as you're going through your training, that people are constantly appealing to your pride and saying, you're not, you're, you're not worthy. I mean, you're, you're, you're more worthy than serving this lowly people and doing the low family practice, the lowest form of medicine. <laughs> right? You need to specialize. You need to, you need to, um, you know, you, you need to uh, think about the lifestyle that you want to have, and then think what kind of job is going to get me the lifestyle that I want. I had a friend, uh, Shelley Basie, who was um, doing her residency at the University of Tennessee, and, and one of her mentors, she said that um, at the end of their rotation, one of the doctors that they had, uh, she had been rounding with, she brought him, uh, all, all of the, the docs who had been rounding with her to her house. And when they got to the house that they had all, they, they had all driven over together, and they, um, the, they, the, these residents knock on the door, and the woman flings open the doors to her 5,000-square-foot house and says, Here it is, ladies. This is what you've been working for. This is it. All of your hard work, that this will be the fruit of your labor. That's the lie that y'all are being told, isn't it? And you're being told over and over and over again. And I didn't understand this until, is Andrew what? Is Andrew in here? Um, Andrew, one of uh, our um, medical students who came through, I was like, Andrew, help me to understand why, like, it seems like for me, again, from an outsider, like, a part of this rigorous training that you go through is, is really, to me, sometimes a picture of discipleship, of, of like just laying down your life in service. And, and you are the lowest on the totem pole. You're treated like garbage. You know, all these things are really good, you know, and, and like can teach us, you know, like teach us to be humble and not to be prideful and, and, and working hard to serve others and, and being servant-minded. I'm like, this should work in some way. 
You know, I was like, what, so why is it that when people come out, it's like they don't keep that sense of service? And, and Andrew said, well, it's because um, because we have a short-term vision that that's it, that that is our service, and that we have done the hard work, and that this woman, that people do believe in this line, that now we are to enjoy the fruit of our labor, and now it's our time. And I said, Andrew, but that's not the way it's supposed to work, right? Like, all of life is supposed to be like residency, <laughs> you know, in a sense, <laughs> right? The, 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 the fruit of our labor is on the other side of death, you know? Like, that we are supposed to continue to be the low person on the totem pole, that we're continue to exalt Jesus Christ. But that's the way that this stuff is supposed to work, right? Um, let me tell you how um, the Israelites got messed up. And uh, I think it, it'll show us how we've gotten messed up too. Medicine, the, the high and holy call of, of healing people, um, doesn't begin with us. And the compassion and mercy that you have doesn't come from your sin-stained heart. Sorry, it doesn't. It comes from God and from the character of God. That God's very character is to heal and to restore and to redeem His people. And that's what He's put in your heart, in His Holy Spirit, is, is His love for the brokenhearted. And so what God did is, is that his people were uh, enslaved in, in Egypt. And they were under political persecution, uh, economic, in, in economic and in, in religious bondage. And God cared about all of those things. Not just, not just the religious aspect, but, but, but all aspects of life. And that he redeemed his people and freed them from the Egyptians, and took them out. It says, the Exodus says that he took them out into the wilderness so that they might worship God, so they might be free to worship God. And God also wanted them to prosper. He didn't want them to be slaves. He wanted them to prosper, so he promised them a rich and bountiful land, the promised land. And so the Israelites wandered for 40 years, and as they were getting ready to, to enter into the promised land, after 39 uh, years and 11 months, um, Moses uh, is leading the people now out of Sinai and up towards the Jordan River where they're going to cross over um, into the Holy Land. And um, he gets up to Moab, which is next to the Dead Sea. So they're continuing to go north. And he stops and he begins to preach this, this long sermon called the Book of Deuteronomy. Okay? And so he's reminding all of the people... Um, about what God has done, and he's telling them about the promise uh, uh, that they're about to receive. And he reminds them about all of their experiences in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says that, that God has been leading you through the wilderness, and he's been feeding you manna from heaven, and he's been bringing water forth from the rock. And he says this, he says, um, he's been doing this to humble you and to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by Every word that comes from the mouth of God. That our sustenance does not come from money. It comes from God. And that doesn't matter um, if you are a lowly servant 
or whether you're a high and mighty physician, that God's provision doesn't come um, from you. It comes from Him. And, and uh, at the end of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says this. He says, this land that you're going into is a lush and rich land full of wheat and barley and pomegranates, that there's rich iron and copper. He says, you're going to go into this land, and when you go into the land, um, don't forget where you came from. And don't think that by, he says, don't think that by the sweat of your brow and by the work of your hands that you have produced this great wealth. That's not where it came from. It came from me. And do not forget me. Let me uh, read the end of that real quick because it's... He says in verse 17, he says, Do not say to yourself, My power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, so that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to you that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. If you forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you, so you shall perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so he gives them that sermon, and um, as all good... uh, as all good preachers do, that um, he, he, he said he gave them a, a ministry task as well that comes in, in, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 14. That ministry task is going to reinforce this sermon that they just heard. Okay? And the ministry task is called the tithe. Okay? It's called the tithe. He gives them something to do to remember um, about this uh, this sermon that he just gave to to not to, to to fear the Lord and to remember that we um, don't live according to our wealth, but we live out of um, every word that comes from the mouth of God, and that that's what our dependence is. And you know what the purpose of the tithe is? Does anybody want to take a guess? What is the purpose of the tithe? The main number one purpose of the tithe. There are many things that are accomplished by the tithe, but what's the main thing that the tithe was supposed to teach the people of Israel? What's that? To trust God, to fear the Lord, to trust God. That was the purpose of the tithe. And so, and this, do you know what, do you know how they were to do that? What did the tithe go toward? This was a huge revelation to me because I had grown up in church and here in Stewardship Sunday at least once a month, it's like, tithe, 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 give your 10%, right? Bring in the whole grain, everything into the storehouse, you know, that, all that stuff. What was the tithe supposed to go towards? What? Some, the feast. All right, the, the tithe was, it was collected in this three-year cycle. Okay? And so the first two years, the tithe, a tenth of all that was grown, all of the grain, all of the food, um, was supposed to go to have this national feast that you were supposed to take a tenth of everything that you produced. Um, lambs, Oxen, grain, um, wine. That's right. God says, He says, go to the place that I will show you and, and drink wine and strong drink and buy whatever you want and have a feast. And it's a picture of all of the nation of Israel feasting and celebrating the goodness of God. 
Have you ever heard any preacher on Stewardship Sunday preach that message? Jesus continues, brings that imagery into the kingdom of God when he says, whenever you, whenever you have a party, whenever you have a celebration, invite the poor and the lame and the weak. That the kingdom of the picture, there are all these pictures of the great banquet and the wedding feast. The kingdom of God is a party. And the tithe was supposed to point forward to the kingdom of God and to the day that the Messiah would come and establish all things and make all things right. And the tithe was supposed to point people to that. The other, the, so, so every two, the first year and the second year, you're supposed to have these national celebrations. On the third year, the tithe was collected and put into a storehouse, and the wealth of that was redistributed to the Levites, the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners who were in the land, those who were marginalized, those who did not have a land inheritance and were not able to uh, accumulate or to make their own wealth and who were dependent upon the generosity and benevolence of Israel. And that's what the tithe was supposed to go towards. The people of Israel were supposed to remember, to remember, to fear the Lord, to exalt Him, But they didn't do that, did they? They forgot. They forgot. And instead of uh, using the tithe to help the poor and to redistribute wealth, um, the leaders of Israel fleeced the poor. They did the exact opposite. Um, In their preaching, they twisted the words of God in order to build up their own religious system, in order to to take the money that was meant for celebration, for glorifying God, the money that was meant to be redistributed to the poor, that was a picture of God's mercy and justice for those who were the least among all people, and they built great lifestyles for themselves. There are all these little... Small things throughout the prophets in Isaiah, um, in, in, in Micah, in Malachi. There are these, there are these pictures of um, the religious leaders who are acquiring more and more land and, and marginalizing the poor and forcing the poor off the land so that they can accumulate more and more wealth. And this is what in Ezekiel chapter 34 um, God says. Prophesy, um, the word of the Lord came to me. Mortal, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, You shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not, and listen to this because this is, this is for pastors and healthcare professionals alike. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost. But with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And scattered they became food for all of the wild animals. Again, I'm an outsider. I don't understand everything. 
But looking in, as from an outsider's perspective, on the healthcare industry in America, it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my life. There's no other industry that I know of that um, a person has to pay another person for not doing anything. And let me say, this isn't always the case, okay? This isn't always the case. I know that, that, but if if I'm sick and I go in and and a doctor doesn't know what's happening, he says, oh, you need to see a specialist. And so you send me to a specialist and I see that specialist is like, I'm not really exactly sure what to do. You need to go to a super specialist. And And then eventually I end up in the Mayo Clinic. And I don't know why the Mayo Clinic is like, that's the end. I mean, I'm again, I'm an outsider. And it's like you go to the Mayo Clinic and either they fix you or you die. That's it. But regardless of the outcome, you're charged all along the way. And so you get my money and you get my money and the super specialist gets the money and the Mayo Clinic is then having to um, sue my family, I guess, for all. I don't know. They they may treat people for free to to get all of my inheritance. But um, this is what happened in Jesus' day, right? When Jesus... Um, was walking through the crowd on the way to Jairus' home, and a woman with a bleeding problem uh, reaches out and and touches uh, the hem of her garment, and she's healed. And you know what it says about that woman? It says that the woman had spent her whole livelihood, her bios, all that she had on doctors who weren't able to fix the problem. And that, to me, sounds pretty familiar. Jesus was not motivated by money when he began his healing ministry. In, in, uh, in, in Luke chapter 7, there's a story of um, Jesus. Um, uh, he, he's walking along and um, he sees this funeral procession before him. And there's a, a widow uh, whose son has died. And now this, this widow is going to have to fend for herself. Her, her, her family um, is gone. And it says that Jesus sees this funeral procession and he looks on the widow and it says that he is moved by compassion, that he has compassion for her. And that he he reaches over and um, he raises her son from the dead. And the crowd looks at him and says, a prophet, a prophet, a prophet is among us. Because they remember, hey, we know this story. We know the story of Elijah. And Elijah is the one who raised the dead. He, he raised um, the Syrophoenician woman's son who had died. This Another widow who was poor and had nothing. And he restored her out of compassion. Restored the child out of compassion and returned to his mother. That Jesus was not motivated by money. That Jesus, of course, that's obvious. Jesus was motivated by compassion and mercy. That Jesus was continuing the ministry of God, the, God, the ministry that God started when he led the people um, out of uh, slavery in Egypt to restore the people, to, to set a people for himself. He was continuing that ministry. Back in Ezekiel, it says, um, when, when, the, uh, uh, when God's people, when his leaders, when the shepherds um, fail to heal the sick, um, when they fleece the poor, when they um, take from the sheep, God makes his promise. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep. I will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. 
I will feed them with justice. Jesus came to fulfill this prophecy. He came as the good shepherd. In, in uh, Luke chapter 15, he tells these stories of, um, of seeking the lost. And it begins with seeking the lost sheep. And as he's saying this, he's beginning to fulfill this prophecy. He's saying that I came to seek and to save the lost. And the audience, as he's preaching the sermon, the audience is this mixed audience. And it has sinners who are lost. And it has um, the religious leaders of the day are a part of this audience. The scribes and the Pharisees and the disciples are there. And he preaches these three sermons about the lost sheep and the lost coin and um, the prodigal son who is lost but was returned to his father. And he, he, he's talking about Ezekiel. He's, he's, he's reminding the people of this promise that Jesus has come to seek out and to save those who are lost and to establish justice. And the next sermon that he preaches is, is kind of weird. It's, he starts to, to um, talk about stewardship of the... Uh, of the um, uh, the shrewd manager, uh, and he's talking about money, and he's talking about um, the use of money, and uh, and how to use money. And what he's trying to do is he's setting he's setting things up here for what's about to come. And what he's again is trying to remind the people is the same thing that God was trying to teach the people in Deuteronomy chapter eight that money's just money. It can't save anybody. It can't sustain you. It's just money. It's just, in our day, it's just paper. It's, it's nothing. And look, this, into this world, a $20 bill has value. But the God, it, what God is saying is that it can have value in the kingdom too if it's in its rightful place and if it's used shrewdly, if it's not exalted and made the purpose of our lives to, to live a life of comfort and ease. It's just, here, it's just money. It's, here. I don't, I don't need it. I don't need it. God's going to provide for me. He always has. He has provided for my family over and over and over. He's allowed us to adopt two children. They cost thousands of dollars. <laughs> and we didn't have any. And he, he miraculously provided both times from friends. Gave us the money to redeem two children. You can have it. I don't need it. He goes on, um, he goes on to say this. This is great. Uh, remember, you got to keep in mind the audience that's here. The sinners have just heard this great sermon about how Jesus came to seek out and to save the lost, and they're feeling really good right now. And now he's starting to tell this weird, and it's still one of the weirdest Bible stories in the world to me, and I don't fully understand, about the shrewd manager. And, and I think he's, again, is just setting the scene. It's just money. It's just money. Use it wisely. The, 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 the people of the world know how to use this stuff. The people of the kingdom don't because they turn it into idols and they worship it. And they, they turn their lifestyle to where, where they're serving it instead of serving me. And it says in, in verse 10, Whoever is faithful in a little 
uh, is also faithful in much, and whoever is dishonest in a little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? Do you see um, your career as a testing ground of faith? Do you see the, the, the rich wealth um, that's going to come to you as a testing ground to be faithful with it? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. Let me. This is going to be just a quick aside. Um, a lot of the students that I come through, they come through our. They have no idea what they're going to do. They don't know where God is leading them. And let me let me talk to you. If you're in that place, um, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to figure it out. You can, what you can do is you can look for others who have ministries that are doing the types of things that you, you think God is leading you to do and just serve them. Help to steward their ministry. And if you're faithful in that ministry, God will give you your own ministry. We're seeing this happen at Christ's community. Doctors coming through and working at the clinic and then being launched to the nations to, to, to use their gifts of service and reaching unreached people groups for the glory of God. That's available to you too. Okay. Uh, No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. And then what's the very next thing? We usually stop there. What's the very next thing? The Pharisees again are pissed. The Pharisees who are lovers of money heard all this and they ridiculed him. So he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your heart for what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. How many doctors do you know who have justified their lifestyle because of the hard work that they've put in and because of the hours that they've spent away from their families, because of the great sacrifices that they have made on behalf of God? Pharisees. We're Pharisees when we do that. Justifying a lifestyle because we have unknowingly fallen victim to the service of the God of Mammon. And the God of Mammon never satisfies. The God of Mammon leads us to continually to look um, for comfort that it's never enough. That's the service that the God of Mammon calls for. Never sa- always longing and never satisfying. We need more and more and more comfort. More and more and more security. And to drive it home, Jesus gives one last story. To remind again the people of the promise of God in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and of the, the, the prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 34 that if you choose to serve the God of Mammon and you don't exalt Jesus Christ as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, if you don't 
take all these gifts that God has given you and to humbly serve Him with it. If your motivation is not compassion and justice and mercy for the poor, if it's not using the gifts that you've given because it gives you access to places of the world that nobody else can get into, and you're going to say, I'm going to use this gift that God has given me to get access, and then whatever He asks me to do, once I get in there, I will do it. Because I'm humbly going to serve Him. I'm not going to seek what gives me pleasure. If, if you start doing that, you begin to serve the God of Mammon. If you're always seeking to live after your own pleasure. And so God, Jesus nails them with this last story. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. How many of you um, practice uh, meditation? Meditating on Scripture. Anybody? Okay, raise your hands really high, really high, really high. Okay, good, 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 because you're never going to survive on the mission field if you don't do this, okay? So if, if this isn't a practice, we're going to do it right now, okay? And, and what I mean by meditation is different um, than reading Scripture. We need to do both. We need to have an understanding of, of the, the wide swath of Scripture and, and, and the story of God's redemption from beginning to end. Okay, And we need to read that and we need to study that. But meditation is something different. Meditation is taking a story that's in the Bible and turning it over in our minds and turning it over in our hearts of putting us, ourselves, into the story of thinking, um, just of thinking of how it relates back to other parts of the, of the Bible, of asking God, what do you have for me in it? And just turning it over and over and over in our minds until our hearts begin to change. And our hearts begin to worship God for what He has written in His book. It's a spiritual exercise. And I want us to do that together right now with... um, Yeah, we're almost out of time. But um, with this last story. Because because we need to feel the weight of of where we are in, in the world today. Um, there is a battle between Jesus Christ and the God of Mammon. And it's a battle that's being waged literally over your souls. So this is what we're going to do. Close your eyes. I know that you have your Bibles, but don't look at them. I want you to listen to me read this. And as I read it, um, I just want you to imagine the scene. I want you to... um, See the house that the rich man lives in and the gate and and, and the type of gate that's built outside of his house when I read this. And I want you to picture Lazarus and I want you to see his sores. And I want you to watch the dog as it it walks up to him and licks his sores. And I want you to to watch as the, the rich man walks right past Lazarus without catching his eye. Just watch the story unfold in your mind as we read this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, 
he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in an agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They have Deuteronomy and Ezekiel. They should have listened to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Keep picturing this story in your mind and I want you to think about this question. Is this the good news of Jesus Christ? for Lazarus. He suffered greatly on earth. And yet is spending all of eternity being comforted by Father Abraham, by Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. It's not very good news for the rich man fail to recognize the sovereignty of God who knew the stories of Moses and of the prophets but failed to heed their warning who lived his life much as the Pharisees did much as many of us find ourselves doing he lived his life in his own comfort, neglecting the needs of the poor, orienting his life to his own wealth, his own comfort, his own security by building gates to keep out those that threatened him and threatened his way of life, holding off the marginalized in society, failing to look them in the eye and being moved by the compassion and mercy of Jesus Christ. All he wanted was crumbs. 
sit at the table. He just wanted the crumbs. Okay, open your eyes. There's a different story, and I'm almost finished, in Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John, being filled with the Holy Spirit, are going into the temple to worship God, and they see there a lame man. And they do the exact opposite of the rich man. Peter makes contact with the, eye contact with the lame man. He looks down and he sees him. And the lame man is, is begging. Just like Lazarus, begging. Somebody take notice of me. Somebody have mercy on me. And Peter looks down and says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. And he reaches down and he pulls the man up. Stand and be healed. And, and the lame man leaps to his feet and runs into the temple worshiping God. And this is also a prophecy of what would happen in the book of Isaiah. That the lame would walk and the blind would see and that the ministry would start with the Messiah himself who would heal the sick and to raise the dead and to make the blind to see and to make the lame to walk. And it continues through his church as the Holy Spirit is deposited in his church and Peter and John, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with the miracle of healing, heal this man. And the ministry of Jesus Christ continues through the church today. And I told you at the beginning that I didn't know why I was telling you this story. Because this is a message of repentance. And maybe there are a handful of you in here who need to repent. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there are some of you who have been um, seeking uh, your own comfort and got into medicine for the wrong reasons because it's, in America it's, it's the highest paid salary you can get. And maybe you had a certain lifestyle in mind. And maybe you are serving the God of mammon. But I have been in torment over the last couple of weeks because I'm like, I don't think that's my audience here. These guys are coming here um, to serve the poor and to reach the nations for Christ, and they want to use um, they, they want to use their gifts for that. And I'm like, I've got this sermon. I don't know what to do with it. And I, I've talked to Rick several times. I'm like, what? why am I preaching this to these people? But I know the why. The why is this: that God is raising up another generation, a kingdom of priests. A holy nation. A people set apart for his own glory. And you're a part of that. And that you're not here to serve the God of Him. And you are motivated by compassion. You are motivated by mercy. And you're going to leave this place. And you're either going to start a practice. Or you're going to go to the mission field. And you are going to bring glory to God. And you are going to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. And you are going to carry His ark. And you are going to exalt His name. And last night, I forget, what was the guy's name last night? Uh, from, what was it? Ben Pullman. The thing that I heard him say a couple of times is that, that we need prophets speaking to the American church. And that's you. God is raising you up to be a new generation of Ezekiels. 
who are going to be standard bearers and going to say, this is what medicine looks like in the kingdom of God. This is what medicine looks like fully submitted to Jesus Christ. And you are going to be, as Steve Noblet says, a sign and a wonder to our nation. And they're going to say, that doesn't make sense. You are going to be glory to his name. You are going to bring glory to his name. That's why there's so many. There is no reason that this many people should be in this room listening to me talk. (laughs) God brought you here because you are a part of a new generation that he is raising up to be a kingdom of priests in a holy nation set apart, practicing the high and holy calling of medicine to bring glory and honor to his name to establish justice among the poor, to reach the nations of the earth for Jesus Christ, to bring the nations as a footstool beneath the feet of Jesus Christ so that they may be his servants, so that they may bring him glory. That is why I'm here. That is why you're here, is to hear this message. You are a part of a holy nation that God is establishing. All right, one more song to send us out. And I want want you to pray... um, I know that it's, we're eight minutes over. This is a ten-minute song. We'll do two minutes of it. Maybe three, four. Um, let, let's do it this way. Um, I'm going to play this song, and um, as the song is, 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 is playing, um, I'm going to start praying. Uh, and I'm going to pray out loud. And I invite you that if God puts something on your heart, if God gives you a picture in your mind... Um, I want you to pray out loud. This is how, uh, this is, we, we have a friend in India, and this is how uh, she runs a children's home with, with 50 children, and um, this is how they pray, is that they all pray together, and, and that they're praising God together, and, and, and shouting out praises to his name, and just however God moves you, if he moves you to be silent, and to sit and reverence all of him, sit and reverence all, I'm not trying to do anything here, I'm just saying, that what we need to do now is to, to do what we just said, to come at the feet of Jesus and as those 24 elders to lay prostrate before him and to worship him and to give him glory and honor. And if you need to go, I ask that you just quietly walk out and go as you need to. You're not going to disturb us. Just, I'm, I'm not trying to keep people here if, 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 you don't, um, if, if you've got other commitments. But this is how we're going to finish. It's just in worship, in prayer, in remembering the holiness of God. That we are His servants to exalt His holy name.
Heavenly Father, You are holy. And You are mighty. You are majestic. You are a sovereign God. You are the Lord of all creation. Lord, You have placed us here. You have saved us from our sins. You have redeemed us from the pit. You have placed Your Holy Spirit in us as a deposit of the things that are to come. Lord, You have asked us to take up our cross and to follow You. To follow You to Your death. To follow You to our death. To die so that we might have life. To die to our selfishness. To die to our selfish ambitions. To die to our desire for comfort and security. To die so that we might have life in You. So that we might have abundant life. A life that does not flow from the desires of our flesh, but flows from the Spirit of grace that lives within us. The same Spirit that brings the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of love and joy, of peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Lord, You want us to taste that fruit and to enjoy that fruit all the days of our life. The fruit of the Spirit that lives within us, but it can only come when we die. When we die to our flesh, when we die to ourselves, so that we might live for the Holy One of Israel. God, we come to You humbly on our knees, Lord. Lord, we come to You recognizing that we are Your creation and that You have made us to bring glory in honor to Your name. And the Lord, it is our desire to do that. It is our desire to serve You. It is our desire to lift Your name up, to exalt You, Lord, through medicine, through healing, through mercy and compassion, to let the world know, Lord, that You are a God of compassion, that You are a God of mercy, that You are a God who came to restore and to redeem a people for Himself so that they might worship Him all the days of their life, that they might worship Him in word and in deed and in service to the poor, Lord. Lord, You are a good shepherd. That You are shepherding Your people. That You have come to seek out and to save the lost, Lord. And that You have found us. That we were lost. And that You have restored us to Your family. You found us because You loved us. You were motivated by love. And Lord, in our ministry of healing, Lord, I pray that our motivation would be love. And mercy. That we would hold our patience in our heart. Lord, and we know that they have many problems, Lord, that they um, have sin in their lives, that they are not deserving, that they are not deserving of, of... But that it doesn't matter, Lord, that You came out and that You saved us, that You died for us while we were still sinners, Lord, and that we, Lord, we commit ourselves to serving the poor while they are still sinners. And we will have mercy on them just as they are. Lord, and that our ministry will not be motivated by wealth, by comfort, by security, but that it will be motivated by service to You, exalting the Holy One of Israel. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty.
like for you to stand and receive your commission. Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, has saved you from the pit. He's redeemed you. And He has set you apart as a holy people who are to serve Him with the gifts that He has given you, that are to carry out His mission to the ends of the earth, to bring glory and honor and praise to His name forever and ever. Amen. Y'all are dismissed.